To this day, Democrats insist that Donald Trump is still colluding with the Russians and that the Russians are interfering in our election to once again help Donald Trump win. That was one of the main arguments they made in 2016 and following. We endured years of the Russiagate investigation where they claim Donald Trump colluded with Russia with foreign help to steal the election from Hillary Clinton. They launched an investigation, the Mueller probe. They didn't find evidence of any collusion. And as we now know, evidence keeps piling up that this whole thing was a hoax. We also have evidence to suggest Joe Biden himself was helping stage this hoax to sabotage the incoming administration after Donald Trump actually won. The latest declassified documents suggest Hillary Clinton made the whole thing up to distract the public from her email scandal. Now, these are allegations. And of course, the resistance Democrat types are saying Donald Trump is selectively releasing documents to make it seem like he's innocent. The only problem, the Mueller probe found nothing. So if I had to make an assessment, I would say the Democrats are lying about this. We have seen the anti-war progressives agree the Russia hoax narrative was ridiculous. Check this out. DNI declassifies Brennan Notes CIA memo on Hillary Clinton, quote, stirring up scandal between Trump and Russia. A source said Brennan's handwritten notes were taken after briefing Obama on the matter. I got to try and break this down for you. Please listen. One of the biggest challenges in covering the Russiagate hoax and Obamagate when they spied on Donald Trump is that they're extremely complicated stories to break down. And there's a ton of evidence that paints a picture. Most people don't follow this because it's increasingly difficult to stay up to date on all of the facts that are emerging. But let me just say, every day as more information comes out, it looks more and more like the Democrats lied and sabotaged Donald Trump's incoming campaign for whatever reason, because they lost, because they were doubling down on the hoax they were perpetrating, at least if this if these allegations about Hillary Clinton are true. They were trying to disrupt and damage Donald Trump before he got into office. But I believe there may be other motives. You see, before Donald Trump got elected, the Russiagate story narrative was an attempt to actually stop him from winning. But he won. After he got elected, it was an attempt to to sabotage his, his entire first term so that he couldn't do anything and thus they could hurt him, impeach him, or prevent him from winning a second term. It doesn't seem to be working. Donald Trump has the power and the documents are being declassified. Of course, how do you think the media is handling these things? This is where it gets scary. We have evidence of more corruption, more evidence than we had about Trump. So this should warrant an investigation. In fact, documents were, were sent to the feds suggesting they should investigate Hillary Clinton. They didn't. They investigated Donald Trump. And this is where we're at now. The media is pumping out story after story, making it seem like, oh, actually, Trump is just trying to trick everybody. If I'm going to entertain three years plus of Russiagate, we're going to entertain Obamagate because why not? I mean, like they said about Trump, if you've got nothing to hide, then what's the problem with the investigation? Well, let's get into this and see exactly what's going on. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There are many ways you can give. There's a P.O. box if you'd like to send me stuff. But the best thing you can do, share this video. I'm going to show you Fox News. I'm going to show you CNN. 
And I'm also going to show you just security who gives a pretty fair assessment of what these documents mean. It is not definitive proof of anything. And I'm going to criticize a Fox News op-ed that tries to make it seem like this is proof Hillary Clinton did do this. This just shows it is not clear cut. And it may mean that Hillary Clinton did try to frame Trump, considering the evidence we have about Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Comey, Sally Yates, all of these individuals whose names, many of them, you're probably saying, I don't know who these are. I'm going to show you evidence to suggest there is dirty politics afoot, and it really does seem like the previous administration was sabotaging the current. If you think that's important for people to know, please share this video. It's not going to be perfect. I'm going to try my best to break this down, but trust me when I say the details involved in the Obamagate and Russiagate scandals are extremely difficult to break down, and you would probably need a three-hour-long documentary to truly understand just what happened. But if you think I'm doing a good enough job, please share this so that people can figure out a little bit of what's going on. Don't forget to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. I don't want to read Fox News or CNN for you first. I want to read just security. And to be fair, I believe that some of these just security reporters and journalists are biased against Trump. But upon reading the news, it seems that their assessment, their initial publication of what happened is the most fair. And then I'll show you what's happening. They say Ratcliffe declassification of, of CIA documents. Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe yesterday declassified documents that revealed former CIA director John Brennan had briefed former President Barack Obama on Hillary Clinton's alleged attempt to link President Trump, the, then the presidential candidate, to Russia as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server ahead of the 2016 presidential election and revealed a CIA CIA memo that shows officials referred the issue to the FBI to potentially investigate. Wow. Let me just repeat this for you. John Brennan briefed Obama on Hillary Clinton's alleged attempt to link Trump to Russia as a means of distracting the the public from her private from her use of a private email server. Did you know that after it was requested by the Senate that Hillary Clinton turn over something around 30,000 30, or so emails. The emails were deleted from her server. And she says, well, they were supposed to have been, de- been deleted a long time ago. And the company that handled it was just on track to delete it. Did you know that Hillary Clinton's people smashed cell phones with hammers? Did you know that many people who are implicated in Obamagate, many of these people who were investigating Trump over the Russia scandal, even though many of them knew Hillary Clinton was, was accused of making the whole thing up? They wiped their phones, the Mueller probe, as as John Durham and Bill Barr. I, I should say John Durham, the Durham investigation is seeking to understand how Russia gets started. Many of the people who are involved in the Mueller probe erased their cell phones. What is going on? Why are they destroying evidence? This is crazy stuff, man. Check this out. They said the documents, which include handwritten notes from Brennan, were released to the House and Senate Intelligence Committees yesterday at the, dire- at the direction of Trump, Ratcliffe said in a statement to Fox News. Brennan's notes were, however, written prior to his briefing with Obama on the matter. A source familiar with the documents said, we are getting additional insight. In- Here's a quote. We're getting additional insight into Russian activities from redacted. Adding, cite, summarizing, alleged approved by Hillary Clinton, a proposal from one of her foreign policy advisors to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by the Russian security service. Most of the detail was redacted, but in the margins is stated JC, Dennis and Susan, which some have said could be referring to respectively 
former FBI director James Comey, former national security advisor Susan Rice, and Obama's chief of staff, Dennis McDonough. Brooke Singman reports for Fox News. This is coming as a breakdown from just security. And as I said, there are several journalists at just security who I believe are actually biased. But there it is. It's important to point out these are allegations. And apparently the source of these allegations are from Russian intelligence sources. So naturally, Brennan said Brennan yesterday accused Ratcliffe of selectively declassifying the documents and memo to advance the political interests of Trump and close Republican and close Republican allies. Speaking in an, in an interview with CNN's Jake Tapper, these were my notes from the 2016 period when I briefed President Obama and the rest of the National Security Council team about what the Russians were up to. And I was giving examples of the type of access that the U.S. intelligence community had to Russian information and what the Russians were talking about and alleging. I'm going to stop right there. If that's true, and the Russians believe that Hillary was trying to frame Trump and them, why would the CIA disregard this? If they're saying they had access to Russian information, then it sounds like the Russians weren't ceding the information to America. The Russians actually believed that they were being set up along with Trump. I'm no fan of Russia. I think Russia's interfering. I just don't think their interference is all that big of a deal. Like it's not particularly successful. They overtly interfere with Russia today and Sputnik. They just pay to produce news to influence the U.S. Call it what it is. It's I wouldn't call it Russian propaganda. I would call it news that benefits their perspective and their goals. Propaganda in a certain sense, I guess you can say is fair. But in this regard, it sounds like we knew the United States knew Russia was talking about this, not lying about this, in which case. Why did they investigate Donald Trump if they knew the source of this could potentially be Hillary Clinton? I wonder. Brennan made clear, they say, he also pushed back on this on the CIA, CIA memo revealed, which claimed that Clinton's actions were a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server, stating that if in fact what the Russians were alleging, that Hillary was trying to highlight the reported connections between Trump and the Russians, if that was accurate and a big if, there is nothing at all illegal about that. Let me stop you right there, good sir. Why would the Russians who are actively colluding with Donald Trump, according to this guy, be shocked that Hillary Clinton is accusing them of colluding with Trump to distract over their email servers? If the Russians knew that they were colluding with Russia and then heard this, wouldn't the Russian intelligence say Hillary Clinton is on to us and she's figured it out? Or are they suggesting the Russians knew the CIA had infiltrated Russian intel and had access to the information. So they staged a fake claim in their own documents. Now you're getting too crazy for me. The Mueller probe did not find evidence of collusion. So what is the logical conclusion? There was no collusion. And the actuals, the actual claims were made up by Hillary Clinton. The CIA knew this, or at least they knew the allegations existed. And instead of investigating Hillary, and stopping this lie, they went after Donald Trump. Talk about insanity. Talk about October surprise. We'll see if anything actually comes of this. I really doubt it. But as a media critic, you know, I wouldn't sit back and just read these claims. Now, this is look, I got to give my respect to Just Security because they cite Fox News and CNN giving you the rights view saying here's exactly what it is. And the left counterpoint where they interviewed Brennan. I'll also say Brennan added. John Ratcliffe and others are trying to portray this as an as unlawful activity that deserves follow up investigation by the FBI. No, it was a campaign activity. He added, 
Perhaps that may be. In which case, it's fine. Hillary Clinton was accusing Trump of Russia, whatever. If the Russians believed in their own intelligence that it was a lie and Hillary Clinton was staging it and they knew the Russians believed this, did they never stop to ask? Maybe the Russians aren't really colluding with Trump because they seem surprised as we are by this intel. And if it was just campaign activity, why did they move forward with an investigation of Donald Trump? It makes you wonder. Let me show you how the media is handling things, though. Take a look at this story from Business Insider. Trump's spy chief declassified a slew of documents that national security veterans say was part of an effort to boost the president's president's Russia claims. <laughs> Epic headline there, Business Insider. The slew, the slew of documents was a part of Trump's effort. Okay, here's one I really like. Here's Politico. Trump rewrites the Russia probe from the hospital. The president declassified intelligence documents meant to implicate Clinton in 2016 meddling, but officials say they're misleading. Why is Politico giving us an op-ed on this breaking news? I guess that's what they do. And that, that to me is bad for all of us. If you go to Politico for your news, you, you are, you are uh, approaching a poisoned well. Let me tell you something. My effort here and why I highlighted just security is that they use Fox News and CNN. I am trying not to give you just Fox News's or just CNN's. But let me, let, let, let me tell you how Fox News framed it. Greg Jarrett, the Russia hoax was a lie created by Hillary Clinton and one of the dirtiest political tricks ever. The genesis of the smear came from the then presidential candidate herself. Full stop. That is not the story. The story is that Russians believed Hillary Clinton was lying about this to distract the public. The, the CIA apparently found out about it, briefed Obama, and then instead of saying, hey, it sounds like this isn't true, decided to investigate Donald Trump for several years. Well, that was the FBI, sorry, but the federal government did. And there's still a lot of evidence to suggest that the Obama administration, knowing this, whether it was true or not, went after Trump. And it was unjust that the, the, the Russia Gate investigation, all of that stuff was a hoax. I'm not saying it was a hoax in the sense that we know for a fact Hillary Clinton staged this, like Fox News is claiming in this op-ed. And to be fair, it's an op-ed from Greg Jarrett. The, the actual story from Fox News is, is fairly good. They just say DNA, DNA, DNI declassifies Brennan notes. But, you know, I'm not saying that there, it's definitively a hoax from Hillary Clinton. That's what I'm trying to clarify. I'm just saying that you actually have evidence to suggest Biden, Obama, they moved forward with the Russiagate investigation after the fact, knowing full well the Russians didn't believe it. The Russians weren't colluding with Trump, and they went after him anyway. And it seems like they even framed Michael Flynn and Carter Page. And these are names you may not be familiar with. This is, this is always the challenge in covering these big scandals, okay? Trust me when I say we have evidence to suggest it's all bunk. First, let me show you this. The unmasking of Joe Biden. Now, Already, I know a lot of people are saying, I don't know what unmasking means. When the U.S. government spies on someone, if they accidentally capture an American citizen who has a Fourth Amendment right to not be spied upon, they mask their name. So let's say you have a Russian individual who's being spied on because the U.S. can spy on foreign individuals. But that Russian individual is talking to an American. They mask the name of the American to protect their privacy. What ended up happening was in the sp in, in their uh, spying efforts of the Russians, they found that, Amer that an American was talking to them. Joe Biden requested the name of Michael Flynn to see who was talking to the Russian ambassador. 
This coincided with the same time someone leaked Michael Flynn's name to the press. And we also have evidence to suggest that Joe Biden, Comey, Obama, Sally Yates, high profile members of the Obama administration had a meeting where they were discussing how to how to get Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn was Donald Trump's national security advisor. Interestingly, in FBI notes, they said, what's our goal with this to prosecute or get him fired? And that should be the biggest red flag in the big in in the entirety of the scandal. Get Michael Flynn fired. What kind of FBI investigation seeks to take someone's job from them? I thought they're supposed to be investigating wrongdoing. So this is why the unmasking issue is significant. Somebody leaked Michael Flynn's name to the press. It was the same day Joe Biden requested the name. It could be because Joe Biden saw the story in the press and then wanted to double check. But it's also possible that he's the one who leaked the name. We don't know for sure. But it is circumstantial evidence of potential wrongdoing. I said potential. This story is difficult to break down. I'll leave it at that. But let's talk about what's still going on with the Russiagate stuff. They haven't stopped. Okay, even with this new evidence suggesting that Hillary Clinton may have been the one who faked the whole thing. Let me remind you, Russiagate was not true. The Mueller probe found no evidence. It was all debunked. And there was there was probably some some stupid behavior in the Trump campaign, but nothing that reached the level of a criminal for, you know, conspiracy to, you know, to to work with a foreign government. Nah, none of it. Why did they move forward with it? Why did they move forward with the investigation, having known that Hillary Clinton was accused of just making it up? Why are they still pushing it? Schiff, Adam Schiff, sees rise in Russian disinformation as Trump attacks mail in voting. Foreign adversaries want to undermine confidence in the American election. And the House Intelligence Committee chairman says they are amplifying President Trump's false assertions. Well, they've backed off uh, from uh, for the most part from the claim that Trump is working with the Russians, but they're still pushing the idea that the Russians are doing the same thing. But only now it's just Trump is a useful idiot. At a certain point, we have to say enough, (laughs) enough with the Russia stuff, man. I'm just not but I'm not believing it. Here's an interesting story. That goes into the heart of uh, the Russiagate hoax, Obamagate. Michael Flynn transcripts released, calls with Russian diplomat detailed. This is what's this is the most important aspect of why it's 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 messed up. Joe Biden unmasked Flynn. It's why it's, it's why it's messed up that Michael Flynn, Trump's security advisor, was ever prosecuted in the first place. It turns out at the time that Donald Trump had won the election and they were transitioning to the White House, Michael Flynn, who was national security advisor to Trump, asked the Russian ambassador not to escalate tensions, sanctions with the U.S. That was it. And according to many progressive journalists, honest ones, anti-war journalists, they said that's well within the role of an acting national security advisor, acting in the sense that President Trump was elect. He was president elect at the time, not the actual inaugurated president. Why did they threaten Michael Flynn with the Logan Act, Why, which has never been used before? Why did they go after him for lying to the FBI when he wasn't even in an, a formal investigation with the FBI? It was sabotage. He was doing his he was in his normal course of duties. And more importantly, amid all of this, why aren't we getting more attention on this story? Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, received three point five million dollar wire transfer from Russian billionaire Senate report. What did the Democrats in the media say? Nothing. No big deal. This is why I, I ask you guys to share the video. Because I know most of you probably know this, but do your friends, do your family, do they know that Joe Biden's son received $3.5 million 
from a Russian billionaire? Have they ever stopped to ask why that would be? They ever stopped to ask? Uh, I, I, look, I know they don't understand it, but now, now hearing it, will you stop and ask yourself who was really colluding with Russia? Was it Donald Trump? No, the Mueller probe found nothing. What about Joe Biden's family taking money from Ukraine, taking money from from Russians? It makes you wonder, doesn't it? The New York Post says Hunter Biden received three point a three point five million dollar wire transfer from Elena Baterina, the richest woman in Russia and the widow of Yuri Luzkov, the former mayor of Moscow. Senate Republicans revealed in their report Baterina is referenced in the 87 page report, which was released Wednesday, addressing her payment to Biden's investment firm in early 2014. Baterina became Russia's only female billionaire when her plastics company in received a series of Moscow municipal contracts while her husband was mayor. It said in providing background on the businesswoman, the report described her involvement with Biden as a financial relationship, but declined to delve deeper into why the wire transfer was made. The probe also found that Baterina sent 11 wire transfers between May and December 2015 to a bank account belonging to BAK USA, a tech startup that filed for bankruptcy in March 2019. Nine of those 11 wire transfers were first sent to Rosemont Seneca Partners, the investment firm founded by Biden and Chris Hines, stepson of the former Secretary of State John Kerry, before being transferred to BAK USA. I'm going to stop right there. I don't know what that means. Maybe Joe Biden's son didn't do anything wrong. That's fine. But if we're going to launch a years long probe of Russia and collusion based off of rumors that bore no fruit, isn't it fair to say that we should at least investigate what's going on with Ukraine, Burisma, Hunter Biden, this three point five million dollar transfer? I mean, come on, man. If if these if, if Donald Trump appearing on TV and saying, oh, Russian hackers, if the DNC email leaks, if all that, if that was enough to warrant this, this investigation into Donald Trump. Isn't this enough to warrant an investigation into the Democrats? Well, right now, John Durham is investigating the origins of the Russia probe. And we've already had one indictment of an ex-FBI lawyer who altered evidence, essentially framing Carter Page, who worked for the Trump campaign. So we know there has been impropriety. A lot of people on the right think there's going to be a, a, a perp walk and you're going to see Obama and a bunch of these individuals, you know, walk away in cuffs. I do not believe that will ever happen. I think Hillary Clinton will not be getting arrested. Barack Obama won't. But I do think there's going to be low level FBI agents, CIA, CIA agents and other feds who are going to face serious consequences. What's astounding to me is that you can have an FBI agent actually text another FBI agent that they're shocked Trump is winning. We won't let this happen. We have backup plans or we have insurance. And then they lead the investigation into Trump's people on bunk charges. That actually happened. That was Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, FBI agents. And now these people are being venerated by left wing media as if the Russiagate thing was true. It was a disaster. The New York Times received Pulitzer Prizes for this. The media had pumped out insane conspiracy theories for years. You know, Rachel Maddow was one of the worst perpetrators. And now we have declassified documents. Before it all started, there was reason to believe, maybe not good reason, but there was reason that Hillary Clinton faked the whole thing and put our entire country through this because it was her turn. Talk about not respecting a peaceful transfer of power. That's what we've seen so far. Now, what this really means in the end, I can't tell you who gets arrested. I don't think anybody for the most part, but I think it shows us that everybody's playing dirty. 
Donald Trump could declassify everything. And apparently that's what's going to be happening. And I want to see the documents. The, 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 the Democrats seem to have been playing fast and loose and playing dirty politics. We know this because there was an, uh, an FBI lawyer who removed evidence to uh, f- implicate Carter Page. Carter Page, uh, again, so much, so much context here, was actually a source for the federal government, I believe for the CIA. And the FBI lawyer removed that context so that they could get a FISA warrant against him and spy on him. When Trump said his campaign was being spied on, the media called him a liar. He's making it up. He's crazy. Turns out it was true. And then they argue semantics. What does it mean to be spied on? So what's happening now? Man, I don't know for sure. But I do know we have absolute circumstantial evidence of impropriety from the Biden family. Now, maybe we don't blame Joe Biden for the sins of the son. If Hunter Biden is using his family name to get favors and make money, it's not really Joe's fault. But I think it still warrants some kind of initial inquiry, maybe not a probe, maybe not an investigation. But isn't it strange that Joe Biden interfered in Ukraine, getting a prosecutor fired? And it turns out that prosecutor had an open investigation into the company his son was a board member of. That should be enough, shouldn't it? Apparently not to the media and apparently not to the Democrats. They're going to act like nothing happened. Even though now we have evidence to suggest it may have been Hillary Clinton who did the whole thing. They're they're just saying, ah, Trump's making it up. Man, two-tiered justice. I'm extremely worried about what happens if Joe Biden wins and the establishment is given the reins again and they start making appointments and giving power to their cronies to manipulate the system where we will then have no justice. Right now, John Durham is investigating the origins of Russiagate and we are finding more and more impropriety and potential process crimes and crimes. If Donald Trump loses, it's all over. They're just going to end the investigation. They'll get rid of Bill Barr and Durham. That'll be the end of it. No more investigation. No revelation to what really happened. So maybe that's why they're trying so hard to win, because it's uh, it's a lot different now. The stakes are higher. There are people who did wrong in 2015 and 2016. And if the Durham probe continues, maybe they'll find themselves in prison. But I don't know for sure. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastnews. It is a different channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Surveillance camera captures wild machete fight inside a Bronx bodega as terrified NYC store owners beg Bill de Blasio to refund the police, saying gangs have taken over. I love this saying, refund the police, because they've been saying defund the police. And in New York, they defunded the police. But when I first heard refund the police, I, I was like, I, I assumed the word refund, like they had bought something and they needed their money back. I didn't quite get it. But anyway, I digress. New York is, man, New York is in bad shape. I mean, there was, there was an article I was reading the other day saying that 12,000 or so bars and restaurants are permanently going to close People are fleeing. There's a bunch of videos popping up. Apparently, you can see U-Haul trucks and Penske trucks and rental trucks everywhere as people flee the city. They've lost their jobs. Many have been told they can work remotely, so they don't want to live there anymore and spend that much money on rent. But the city is just horribly, horribly mismanaged. In fact, the entire state is being horribly mismanaged. No, I did not do this video to talk to you about a machete fight in a bodega. I want to talk to you about... What's going on with the chaos in New York City and the, the priorities of their governor and their mayor? 
Now, if I were to tell you that the priorities of, say, Chris, uh, I'm sorry, Andrew Cuomo, not Chris, he's the he's a CNN guy, was not to help the city. But in fact, for some reason, uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio just apparently don't like Jewish people. You'd probably say, Tim, what does that have to do with civil unrest? Well, the other night, around 80 or so Orthodox Jews torched a box of masks. I believe it was a box of masks protesting, saying you will not take our right to practice our religion away from us. Why? Because I'm just going to say, man, when you get a governor who says he wants to stamp out Jewish clusters, ooh, whoa, what is going on in New York, man? This is the weirdest thing to me about the current iteration of the Democrats is that I mean, they definitely are projecting everything they claim Trump is doing. They're doing. They're like, oh, the violence is Trump's fault. He's inciting violence. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure when Joe Biden's campaign bails these people out and Kamala Harris, you know, solicits donations from them, they're kind of, you know, the ones that are supporting it. Now you can say Trump incites, I guess, but Trump's not going out saying Antifa, go burn down cities. So we can see what happens in New York when the priorities aren't keeping people safe. When they defund police, wild machete fights break out. Now, I want to show you something real quick. This is from a story a couple days ago. Governor Cuomo orders hundreds of schools in nine neighborhoods to shut down, and he threatens religious institutions. And one of the most shocking things to me that I, I can't believe he said, he said he was meeting directly with Orthodox leader on Tuesday to seek their help with getting people to comply with the rules. Cuomo said if the religious leaders don't agree to enforce social distancing rules, including mask wearing, he will shut them down. He specifically referenced recent mass gatherings involving members of Orthodox Jewish communities that he said numbered in the thousands. I give you Andrew Cuomo's statement about the Jewish community. These clusters have to be attacked. Stamp them out immediately and dramatically. Whoa. Wow. Hey, that's New York for you. I'm I'm impressed. Now, I, I do think it's important to point out this could just be how the Daily Mail has positioned the quote. And maybe you could argue that Chris Cuomo didn't mean specifically to stamp out the Jew. I can't even say it to it. Maybe he didn't really mean it, just them specifically. Uh, but that's just not the case, man. That's what's been going on in New York. And now we have this story. This is crazy. Quote, we won't be deprived of our right to observe our religion. Furious Orthodox Jews set fire to masks as Cuomo closes religious schools and bans gatherings in nine NYC neighborhoods with surging COVID cases. Look, I I never want to go over the top and be like, oh, these people are secret racists or whatever, because I think it's silly. But when uh, when the governor says he wants to stamp out these clusters, specifically referencing Jewish people, And then he starts shutting down their schools and their synagogues, directly threatening them. Uh, I think Bill de Blasio and Chris Cuomo are anti-Semites. And I I know it's kind of cliche because it was like a Seinfeld joke, accusing everybody of being anti-Semitic. No, I, I think so. Especially when you look at someone like Bill de Blasio, because he's progressive left. So he's very much in, in, in alignment with the ultra woke and they are fans of Farrakhan. I would not be surprised if these people harbor, you know, anger and rage, uh, irrational rage. That, that's the point towards the Jewish community. Well, now what you're seeing is I'm not going to call it a riot. And this is why I think it's important to have a distinction between protest, unrest and riot. Right. So there was this thing that happened recently where the Associated Press said, according to our new guidelines, we're going to refer to the protests as 
unrest, social unrest or civil unrest. And a bunch of people started making fun of them saying like unresters instead of rioters or protesters, unresters. It's like, uh, I, I guess, but I actually think it's kind of fair. First, if it's a rioter, if, if it's a riot, call it a riot. Okay. It's not a protest. This right here with, with the, with the Jewish community is in essence a protest. Like you could argue in essence, some of these things the left has done are protests, but I would call this unrest. Why? Because they're not showing up with signs and saying we demand our rights. They're setting things on fire in the street. So I guess it was their masks. I'm, I'm hoping we'll read this. But if you're going to if you're going to start going in the street and burning things and yelling and, you know, you're, you're clashing with police, that's unrest, right? It's, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a riot. And, and I know maybe some people disagree with me, but I think a riot is when people are smashing up property. And that's what we see. That's literally what just happened the other day in, in Portland, I guess, because, you know, look, normally I would leave with like riots, you know, breaking out in Portland. At this point, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What else is new? Mm-hmm. But we have in, in, in New York, the Jewish community, man, they're stepping up. They're saying no to this. And you know what? I'll tell you what. I, when I saw these videos of them, you know, basically burning the masks, so long as it's their masks, so long as everybody's safe. I don't got a problem with civil disobedience. Like you want to burn something so long as it's done safely. So I, I, you know, when it comes to setting fires in the street, I'm kind of like, mm, I don't know if I like that because that could be dangerous. But if it's your property, you're not hurting anybody else. You're not smashing up windows. Okay, do your civil disobedience. So when I see this, you know, I said, good, good for them. You know why? This is a free speech First Amendment issue. These are people who want to practice their religion. These are people who have been specifically targeted by Cuomo. These are people who have said we've had enough and they're coming out. I mean, that's very, very different to say what Black Lives Matter is doing. If when, when Black Lives Matter came out after the George Floyd incident and many of these protesters laid down on this in the street in Portland and put their hands behind their back, I said, bravo. Good show, old chap. That's an excellent display of nonviolent civil disobedience. Blocking a roadway. Very annoying. But it was a large mass protest. It's very, very different from a roving band of marauders smashing up storefronts and burning things down. That's different. So far as this day is where it is, I'll be fine with it. I do not believe it is, it is ever warranted to attack innocent people and destroy small businesses because of your grievances with the government. It's a, it's a tough problem. I know you want attention for your issue. This issue right here is free speech, their right to practice their religion. And what you have with Black Lives Matter was them protesting and, and the riots and stuff like that. They're angry over the death of, of, of people. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say innocent, guilty, whatever, doesn't matter. Cops should not kill people. Now, sometimes bad things happen and, and, and it's like, there are circumstances where a cop kills somebody and you're like, yo, dude, that was messed up. Like there's this story in Texas where apparently this guy was walking away from the cop and the cop shot him and they were like, that wasn't justified. Like the dude wasn't doing anything. With Jacob Blake, apparently the Blake had a knife and, and Blake's still alive. So, you know, there are circumstances where I think we absolutely have to call out bad cops. But Black Lives Matter is protesting people who have died. And, and I still agree people shouldn't die. But you have to realize sometimes bad things happen when when clashes and conflict arise and the cops are going are gonna to protect themselves. If they just came out and were, you know, burning their own flags in the street and stuff, I'd say, yeah, well, look, you know. Maybe they'll get arrested. Maybe blocking road will we'll get them a slap on the wrist charge. But at least they're not destroying people's lives. No, they've cost upwards of $2 billion in damage. And that's just what insurance covers. The cost is absolutely higher than that. I'm going to read to you what's going on with the Orthodox community. And then I'll talk to you about something else because we got, we got a bigger update.
over in Wauwatosa, there is preparation for charging decision on suspended officer. They're putting up barricades. Riots inbound, ladies and gentlemen, riots inbound. We'll see what happens, but let's read this. Check this out. We won't be deprived of our right to observe our religion. Furious Orthodox Jews set fire to masks as Cuomo closes religious schools and bans gatherings in nine NYC neighborhoods with surging COVID cases. Governor Andrew Cuomo imposed strict new restrictions on nine neighborhoods in New York. Non-essential businesses have to close. Religious gatherings of more than 10 people are now banned and restaurants can only offer takeout in those areas. Mass gatherings in those neighborhoods are now are, are also now banned, Cuomo said. Following restrictions, a group of 80 people protested his decision in Brooklyn. Cuomo's restrictions comes a day after he ruled that hundreds of schools in those nine neighborhoods in Brooklyn and Queens had to close. The new rules, which will be in place for at least two weeks, will go into effect as early as Wednesday, but no later than Friday. So we can see here, they say about 80 people took to the streets in Brooklyn, uh, protesting Governor Andrew Cuomo's restrictions on nine New York City neighborhoods. These are these are uh, Orthodox Jews. And I, I did a segment on this for uh, like a later segment, a shorter segment. And I, let me tell you, man, New York has not done right by the Orthodox community. I used to live in Bed-Stuy. It's a neighborhood in New York. And it's uh, like it was it was right next to I think it's it's basically you have, you have a large Jewish community, large Orthodox community. And like my landlord was was Orthodox Jew and my neighbors were. And then across the street, you know, you move down, it starts to become more like project housing and stuff. And uh, so so I got to, you know, uh, routinely would interact in, in this community and go shopping. And it was absolutely lovely. Then you started seeing these videos pop up where these people are playing like the knockout game. They run up and they would just beat Orthodox, Orthodox Jewish men and, and chase them down the street and punch them and knock them out. And it was it was horrifying. What do we get from the government, from from the uh, the people in New York? Nothing, nothing. It was like it was being ignored, like nothing was being done. And then when the lockdown happens, what do they do? They chain the parks shut in the Jewish communities, specific single out their churches, threaten them specifically. And now they're angry about it. And I think they have every right to be. There's a reason why we have a First Amendment in this country and a right to practice our religion. I mean, this country was partly founded on people trying to find religious freedom. Not entirely, but many people came to the new world, as it were, so they could practice their religion safely and securely. And that's a lot of people with a lot of different views. Now you have New York City specifically targeting them. What do we see? The best example of this is Black Lives Matter. And therein lies the big problem. You have this story that I opened with. Gangs have taken over. You have hordes of Black Lives Matter protesters, no social distancing, no masks, marching through the streets. And what does Cuomo say? He didn't. Let, let, me, let, me, let me drive this home for you. Did Andrew Cuomo come out and say that these Black Lives Matter clusters must be stamped out? Did he say that the Antifa extremists who have been smashing our windows must be stamped out? No. He came out and said some very specific words about the Jewish community. I wonder why. And this is my problem with the left. Um, not my only problem, but it's the identitarian left and their penchant for anti-Semitism. And it's not even it's not even sub a covert. It's overt. Like he's just saying it, man. So what am I supposed to think? What is anyone supposed to think when you've got a mayor, Bill de Blasio? He marches with the protesters. He cheers for them. Meanwhile, he shuts all these businesses down. Then he, his wife's got a $2 million staff, apparently, siphoning away public funds. 
And then they target the Jewish people in New York City. It's no surprise then when you see the women's march leaders defending the likes of Farrakhan. Yeah, I don't know what, what, what else you expect me to say. I think it should be very obvious to everybody who these people are and what they represent. This is why I've always said that the identitarian left is a kind of weird white supremacy. And I say weird because it's literally white supremacy. Like we saw what uh, Prince Harry said. I don't know if you saw this quote, but he said that he believes that the world in Prince Harry's view was created, according to Prince Harry, by white people. For, and this is what Prince Harry said, white people. Now, now I got to tell you, the reason why I broke up the quote that way is because I will not have that pulled out of context. No, Prince Harry said that. They believe this stuff. So they believe that they want racial segregation and they're targeting Jewish people. What does that sound like to you? Uh, I don't want to play into Godwin's law, but come on, man. To quote Joe Biden. Well, the riots that are happening. They're not going to stop anytime soon. The people who believe this stuff are emboldened and empowered by by activists, by the media. You know, there, there's a photo of a proud boy. He's in prison, I believe. And he has an interracial family. And it's, it's really funny that they call that dude a white supremacist. They call Enrique Tarrio a white supremacist. And Enrique Tarrio is a black dude. Now, by all means, I think the Proud Boys deserve a lot of criticism. I think they are... Uh, um, I think they, they do a lot of bad, they, they do things that cause trouble. I do. Um, but I think you got to be fair about the criticism. You got to call them out for what you don't like about them specifically. Otherwise, you're not really getting to the root of the problem. Antifa, on the other hand, you have, you have overt, uh, uh, racist activists, anti-Semitic activists. They're white. They target the black community. There's one video going viral recently where there's, uh, uh, it was a walk away rally, I think. And there was a black man wearing a MAGA hat. And a white dude, and the white dude yelled, yells Black Lives Matter at the black guy, and the black guy yelled All Lives Matter. And I'm like, man, 2020, huh? Let me tell you. If you come out and say, we must listen to marginalized voices, and then you scream in the face of that marginalized voice because you don't like their, who they're voting for, you're a hypocrite. And I do not believe you actually care about anything you're talking about. And then you look at what they're actually doing. What is Bill de Blasio doing this progressive? Well, he's gutting and destroying New York City. He's sending homeless people into rich areas, and he's saying he wants to buy up the property after everyone flees. I mean, that sounds like some kind of racket, you know, drive the people out with high crime and, and destroying the businesses under the pretext of COVID, buy up the businesses for government housing. And then they go after Jewish, uh, uh, the Jewish community. Man, I, I, uh, uh, I'm worried to think about what happens if these people stay in power and no one's paying attention. I don't know if it, if it, uh, if, it, if it's going to resonate with regular people, if they, if they care. But there's videos and there's memes and stuff that show a bunch of people like cheering in the street, raising their fists, juxtaposed with a bunch of people doing the Roman salute in Nazi Germany. I do not like the Godwin's Law stuff where it's like you basically, you know, call everyone a Nazi. And I think it's really stupid because there's this viral tweet from this dude at NBC. I actually know this guy. And he was like, I, I, you know, put Donald Trump's video next to Hitler's video. And it's like, oh, they're like the same video. And it's like, dude chill out with that. However, when it comes to the people raising their fists versus the people raising their hands, the Roman salute, that's what the Nazis were doing. The, the, the Nazi salute is called the Roman salute. When you see that, then I do think it's worth calling out. It's different from Donald Trump happened to film a video where a helicopter lands and then you think it looks like a Hitler video. That's, that's ridiculous. But when you, have a, when you have large crowds of people and they're raising their fists and cheering and the, the activists and the leaders who are on their side are targeting 
Jewish people. And they believe that, uh, what did Ibram X. Kendi say? That uh, a white people adopting minority children is like this racist. I, I, I'm not going to quote the guy because what he said was just absolutely abhorrent. But you look at what Prince Harry said. You look at what Ibram X. Kendi said. You look at what the likes of Robin D'Angelo said. And she's the woman who wrote White Fragility. They're all overtly racist. They do not want a great melting pot. They do not want this American dream. They want balkanization and segregation. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not being facetious. I'm not trying to be mean either. They literally say they want these things. Ibram X. Kendi writes in his book, we, he says, he says that he wants, I gotta be careful about this. He wants racial discrimination. I don't. I want people to hang out and be friends. They don't want that. They don't. So what is this ideology? Is the only difference between what they believe and the Nazis believe? Is the only difference the, like the economic structure? It seems like it. Oh, well, they're communists. So their racial identitarian views and calls for balkanization and segregation. I guess people think in the media that's okay. They're unwilling to call out the left. And this is part of the leftward lurch. This is what I've talked about. It, it happens in every facet. So in every genre. COVID, for instance, you can't come out and talk about COVID saying that, you know, if, if you come out and say too much, like it's time to calm down and I'll give you a better example. Donald Trump had his post on Facebook removed for his comments on COVID. If you say anything that's like things aren't that bad, you cross that line, they will ban you. However, if you claim the sky is falling, the end is nine, everyone's going to die. Well, that's totally fine. So then the conversation can only skew leftward. Because over time, what becomes normal is further and further left. That happens everywhere. You look at activism. If you can't come out and say, America's great, and they go, oh, look at the it's okay to be white campaign. Have you ever seen that? So this started, I believe, on 4chan. They made the most innocuous statement ever, it's okay to be white. And they put it up on white pieces of paper with just like black writing. And sure enough, the media went after it, saying it was white supremacy. Just telling people it's okay? Well, but there's undertones. No, no, that was the troll, dude. That's the leftward lurch. You can't even say it's okay for people to be white, let alone <laughs> closer towards, you know, uh, defending, like, uh, let, let alone be alt-right. Alt-right's purged instantly. You can't, you know, and, and I'm no fan of white nationalists at all. In fact, I would say I very much despise this ideology. Why? Same thing. It's the same thing as what the left believes. I do not want racial segregation or balkanization. Uh, for those that are familiar, balkanization would be like segments of the country breaking off to form their, their respective, their, their uh, respective, you know, uh, ideological state. You know what I mean? So like the West Coast becomes this far left progressive utopia. I'll use air quotes on this one. And then you'll end up with, um, the NFAC, it's an all black militia. They want their own black ethno state. Then you got the all right. I, I don't want, I don't want any of that. You know why? Dude, we got to learn to live together. We're people. I got I got friends uh, from all over the political spectrum. I got lefty friends. I got conservative friends. I usually don't really hang out with anybody, to be completely honest. You know, I, I work all day and I'm in the middle of nowhere. But I've got friends across the spectrum. I've got friends of all races. I've got LGBT friends, all that stuff. And we, we learn to live together. We don't we don't understand everyone's perspective 100%, but we try to. We try to empathize, try to sympathize. We try to live together. If you start allowing this stuff that we see with like Cuomo, first comes balkanization. Then comes war, because you're going to have people saying, my tribe, your tribe, I want, I take. I understand this because I grew up in very racially segregated areas in Chicago. They're racially segregated by choice, which is scary. People just did it. 
There were uh, white immigrants. They moved specifically into an area so that they could be around other white immigrants, uh, like like Polish immigrants in my area. And then you had the uh, uh, black community that basically started, they wanted to move into their own community and that created this very like obvious segregation. And then you ended up with racism because people were like, those people, you know, they don't live here. And I, I don't know if it was overtly racist, like the people on either side had to stand for each other based on race. It was more like they knew you didn't live here, so you were an other. And it wasn't necessarily about race, but it became about race superficially. And then it turned into overt racism. So when you let these people have their balkanization, what comes next? Well, then you're going to have clear dividing lines on racial. Nah, you're going to have this area is all one race. This area is all one race. This area is all one religion. And that's when the fighting starts. We learn to live together. We, we learn to work together. We compromise. You're not getting that in New York City. In New York City, the leaders are spray painting Black Lives Matter in the street. Well, not spray painting, but, but paint rolling. That's Bill de Blasio. We then see what, what these people believe. And we, you had, it was like, I think it was Jacob Blake's dad. Okay, he's the guy in Kenosha, good shot, posting a whole bunch of anti-Semitic stuff. I'm, 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 I, I, you know, maybe it's pointless trying to warn people about all this. Maybe it's a bit over the top, but I'll tell you what I'm seeing. When you have Orthodox Jews coming out and burning boxes, because Cuomo said he wants to stamp out these clusters and he's shutting down their, their, their schools and their, their synagogues. Man, I do not like where this goes. I, I do not like where this goes next. Is anybody going to call this out? Because I, I remember we said, you know, never again. And I, I know it's cliche to talk about World War II and all this stuff. But shouldn't we be shocked and concerned about what Governor Cuomo said? Shouldn't he issue an apology? Like we can't we can't even get close to this kind of ideology. Like we shouldn't allow it. So how is it Antifa is on the side of these people? I mean, not not explicitly, but tacitly. You know, they, they like the idea the progressives are doing them favors, although they'll still call for them to be removed because they're not far left enough. These people are on the, on the side of Antifa as far as they can be. How is it that the, it's, it's, it's whatever group we're in, the enlightened centrists, I suppose, are actually in, in opposition to fascism and authoritarian leftism. When they say they're anti-fascist, they're not telling you they're libertarian. They're straight up authoritarian. They just don't like authoritarian fascism. Sure. I don't like what they're doing either. I believe in liberty and freedom. And I believe that the Jewish community has a right to express themselves and, and, and to uh, practice their religion. And I believe the Constitution guarantees that. And that is true of people of all races, colors, creeds, uh, LGBTQ, all that. I'm a social liberal. I've always been. Not a social democrat, not a democratic socialist, a social liberal. It's a center left position. I don't think these pe people uh, uh, like me exist all that much anymore. I think either they've moved to uh, total social democrat they're hiding and don't pay attention, or many of them have joined the uh, uh, classical liberal, which is a more center-right position. But I don't know what to tell you, man, other than this stuff freaks me out. But I'm glad to see that they're standing up for themselves, and I hope Cuomo and uh, de Blasio get voted out. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. How dare Donald Trump call journalists the enemy of the people? I mean, the journalists are here to serve the people, to inform us, to enlighten us, to guide us through the dark. In these tumultuous times, we need someone bearing that torch as we march through the darkness and they can guide the way. At least that's what they want you to believe. What happens when it's all rigged and we can see it? Fortunately, there's independent media that's actually helping guide the way. 
And truth be told, independent journalists and personalities aren't perfect and get things wrong all the time. And I try my best, but come on. I crank out like four hours of content every day. I probably put out a bunch of incorrect information. Mostly it's probably good. I do my best, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm perfect. I just try. You know who doesn't try? Actually, no, 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 no. I was going to say, you know who doesn't try? I got to stop myself. You know who tries to deceive? Yeah, I'm sorry. For the most part, mainstream press. Take a look at this story. NBC News's undecided voters previously featured as Biden supporters on MSNBC, recycling personalities to push a fake narrative. To convince people that there are Cuban-Americans, Latinos, and individuals who were formerly Republicans and independents who are now voting for Joe Biden. No, these people were Biden voters. And the Washington Free Beacon shows us. Check this out. NBC News featured a pair of undecided voters during a network town hall earlier this week who had previously declared their support for Democratic nominee Joe Biden on the network's sister channel MSNBC. Lawyer Peter Gonzalez and marketing executive Ismail Lano posed questions to Biden during a town hall on Monday when he appeared before what the network described as an audience of undecided Florida voters. Both Gonzalez and Lana, however, were featured in an MSNBC segment in August to explain why they support Biden. Quote, if we get four more years of Trump, good luck and good luck with the future attracting younger voters, Gonzalez said, as the as an MSNBC Chiron noted, he was voting for Biden. Lana was also identified as voting for Biden and offered praise for the former vice president. This video will not just be about the media lies. I'm actually going to show you a really good op ed, if you're a Trump supporter, at least from The Washington Post. And this is why I often say, look, the media is not all bad. They're just it's a tendency. That's the easiest way to put it. There are too many people at these organizations that are more interested in money. And some of these people are at the highest levels. But we do have an op-ed from the Washington Post explaining how Donald Trump has done a good job. I know I was shocked. Trump actually tweeted it out. So let me tell you this. But let me ask you this. Please consider sharing this video if you think this is a story people need to see. You know, this is not necessarily just me being like, hey, I'd like help, you know, growing my channel and your support helps me grow. It's part of it. I'm not going to lie. I, I do rely on word of mouth. But I've been feeling, you know, in this past few weeks with all of these stories about the unhinged fake news and how, how bad it's getting. I'm like, what, what, what are we really getting done? I mean, you guys who watch this and, 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 and you know, for myself working on these videos, are we really besting them? Are we really proving that they're lying and waking people up to the fact that you don't have to like Donald Trump, but please just consider that there's something deeply inherently wrong with our current media institutions. That's all I ask. I mean, there, there are people on the left who think the media is fake news. I'm all about it. I, I, don't, I don't care what you want to believe as long as we can start somewhere. Point out, corporate press is bunk. Now, you do get a lot of people on the left and the right accusing each other of lying too. Well, that's going to happen. But this is serious. If, if they're putting out bad information and it's on purpose, like you have to realize these people knew these voters were not undecided. Like this is intentional. Okay, fine. Maybe there's a slim chance that NBC was like, these people are, are, are undecided for some reason, or they were lied to. But I'm not going to impugn the honor of the individuals who straight up went on TV saying they were voting for Biden. I think it's the unnamed individuals behind the scenes who are putting on a show because they want to support a candidate. They say on Monday's uh, NBC on Monday, NBC's Lester Holt said that Lano voted for Hillary Clinton four years ago, but as voter Republican in the past. Gonzalez, whose voting history went unmentioned, 
asked Biden to ease his family's concerns that the Democrat is beholden to the radical left. Cuban Americans and Venezuelan voters here in South Florida are being targeted with messages by the Trump campaign, claiming that a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for the radical left and socialism and even communism. Kind of. I'll talk about that. Kind of. Gonzalez said, what can you tell people in my family, my friends who are understandably concerned with that issue that would make them feel comfortable voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Nothing. I can't. It would be a lie. Joe Biden's like, I beat the socialists. I'm not a socialist. Come on, man. I only have a working coalition packed with Bernie Sanders to concede several areas. Now, of course, the, the, the left doesn't think that, you know, that this pact is anywhere near what they actually want. So I'm not trying to claim that. I think it's funny because when I say something like Joe Biden's got a pact with Bernie Sanders and somewhat tongue in cheek, the left is like, Joe Biden is not far left. It's a, OK, listen, if you're a moderate, you don't like Venezuela or Cuba, you're probably going to be a bit concerned that he would even negotiate with Bernie Sanders. Not everybody. I'm not even saying most. I'm just saying there's going to be a decent amount of people. So what could I possibly say to calm a person who's scared about the far left? It would be a lie for me to say that it would be a good choice for you. That's just to be completely honest. Well, I don't think Joe Biden is a card carrying communist, nor do I think that he's going to get in and start enacting overt communist policies. I think he's negotiated with the extremists. I think Joe Biden will be like, okay, okay, we'll give you these things. But more importantly, Joe Biden's staffers bailed out the, the extremists and Kamala Harris directly solicited solicited donations to bail them out. That shows you right there that maybe they personally won't be in favor of these policies, but they'll be in favor of the people who are committing violence, you know, acts of violence and, and destruction, especially in your communities. I think there are people from Venezuela and Cuba who see what the left is doing right now and they see someone like Joe Biden and it rings too similar to what they experienced or the stories they heard. Because we've seen the viral videos from people who are saying this stuff. But the reason I think that they're highlighting these Cuban American voters is specifically for this point. They want them to come off as undecided. Because if you approach someone as an enemy, they won't listen. This is sales 101. I used to do fundraising for nonprofits. The number one thing you don't do, okay? If you see someone walking towards you and they're wearing a suit, and they have a briefcase and it's this guy and he's like, burp, burp, burp. and you walk up to him and go, yo, dude, man, come on. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to chill. The guy's going to be like, what, what is this? Get, get away from me. If you walk up to a hippie guy with long hair and dreadlocks and he's, you know, he's like walking on the street in tie dye shirt and you go, pardon me, good sir. I'm here to pitch you a great deal. He's going to be like, yo, chill, bro. You're supposed to approach people similar to how they behave. It's a trick. Rapport building. So if you approach Cuban Americans, and they're undecided. And you say, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican. They're immediately going to say, like, are you lying to me to convince me to take to, to vote for you? If you present them as undecided, then they go, look, I'm undecided just like you. I don't even know. Who do I vote for, man? Because this far left stuff. Oh, hey, what's that? Joe Biden is saying things are OK. I think I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. Now it sounds like someone just like you is making a decision. It makes it feel safe. Rapport is the number one thing people need. You, you need when you're engaging someone to pitch them an idea, to sway them to your side, to make a sale, whatever. If you go to somebody who's undecided saying that you're a, a, a you know, uh, of one of these factions, they might feel like you're trying to deceive them into tricking them into vote. Not completely, not always, but it would be an advantage to claim you're undecided. And you just now realized 
It's not the first time that television networks have featured Trump opponents masquerading as undecided voters who are difficult to find and often less publicly vocal about their political views. ABC News last month described several several Trump critics as undecided voters, including one who had previously described Trump as an effing moron, pathetic pig, swine and punk A on social media. And this is the thing I'm trying to tell people like y'all need to know that. That when you turn on cable TV, they're lying to you, trying to trick you into voting for their side. I'm not going to tell you to go and vote for Trump. I'm not going to tell you to go and vote for Biden. I'm just going to tell you the media is full of it. <laughs> they absolutely are. I think Fox News has their has their their problems. I think Brett Baer is pretty good. He's, he's a newsman, you know, and people like they give they give Fox News flack for this. Now, Tucker is an opinion guy, but he's, he's pretty on the level and he's willing to engage with people he disagrees with. And I think Brett Bayer is a straight newsman and he's a really good, uh, he's really good at what he does. You know, it's, 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 it's no games. It's very straightforward. I think he does a good job. They say another undecided voter featured in NBC's town hall. Mateo Gomez told MSNBC on September 30th that he was leaning toward voting Biden on Trump after watching the first debate. Now, to be fair, that he could still be undecided. NBC News did not respond to a request for comment. Others at the town hall have displayed a clear preference for Biden on social media. Michelle Cruz Marrero, described as a former Republican, did not appear to be undecided. Several of her Facebook cover photos are either pro-Biden or anti-Trump. Pro-America, anti-Trump, it says. Another voter at the town hall, Cassidy Brown, asked Biden how she would protect women's reproductive rights. Biden subsequently tweeted the exchange and pledged to codify Roe v. Wade. But Brown's social media use also suggests she is not an undecided voter. On September 5th, She retweeted an account with a Biden-Harris logo for its avatar that attacked Trump for allegedly making derogatory remarks about veterans. In 2017, she shared a HuffPost article on Facebook about Michelle Obama's criticism of women who voted against Hillary Clinton. Brown also shared an Instagram post from her sister after the town hall, where she boasted Brown asked the future president an incredible question about reproductive rights. You get the point on all this. This is the media at their worst. And unfortunately, it's too much right now. We got all these outlets for years pumping out Russiagate conspiracy stuff that didn't pan out. I mean, ask yourself this. If you're someone who still finds that you typically trust the media, maybe someone shared this video with you. Remember all that Russia stuff? Mueller's investigation didn't really come up with much. I mean, if if, if anything at all. And there was no indictment. There was no collusion. And to be fair, they didn't issue a decision on obstruction. Now, the left argues that's because you can't indict a sitting president. And the right argues it's because they they like there's nothing there. The interesting thing is it is not the job of the FBI to exonerate anyone. The legal system we have in this country is straight up. Can we find probable cause a crime was committed to charge someone? They didn't. It doesn't prove innocence. This is the game that's being played in the media. The left then says Trump wasn't exonerated. Well, he wouldn't be. The the police investigating you aren't investigating you to exonerate you. They're trying to convict you. So they're looking for evidence to say you did a crime. If they can't find it, well, then you were innocent from the get go. You see how that works? But let's talk about actually some decent media. And I'm saying this just because it's about time we actually saw some content that was more positive for Donald Trump. You have to realize, okay, Trump is a lot of things, but he can't be wrong every single time. That makes no sense. If Trump says the violence is bad, then you can't be like, no, actually, they're peaceful. Now, when Trump says, OK, peaceful protests to be protected, you can't turn around and then claim he's wrong for inciting violence. Or I should say Joe Biden denounces the, the riots and the violence. And when Trump comes out and says the same thing, they say he's inciting violence. 
oh, they'll argue there's some nuance, but the way Trump does it, the way Trump does it, Trump comes out and says X, they say Y. He says Y, they say X. That's the narrative. Well, here's what we have from the Washington Post, how Trump has made the country better off than it was four years ago. This is from Hugh Hewitt, a contributing columnist for the Washington Post. He says the 2020 election is four weeks out. Here is the short case for backing the Trump-Pence ticket and voting for Republican senators and representatives in your state. Have President Trump and Republicans helped you since they assumed office in 2017? Or are you the same or worse off than you were nearly four years ago? My guess is that the president and the GOP have helped you. Yes, of course, count the effects of the coronavirus pandemic. But I think Trump has done as well as any president could have done and better than Joe Biden would have done. Remember that when Trump restricted flights from China on January 31st, as the pandemic spread from the from Wuhan had barely started. The next day, Biden criticized the president's hysteria and xenophobia. More recently, Biden has vowed to shut down the entire country in response to the pandemic, if necessary. I want to make sure we're really clear on this one. He said, if the scientists say we need to. So if necessary, he will shut down again. Trump is taking the more political approach. We need to do what's right for the entire country, not just off of one issue. And the reason why I think that is correct, doctors aren't economists. The economy is how you get your food, how you work, how you improve your life. You can't just manifest food. So if the economy's destruction, the loss of your job and your businesses results in suicide and starvation, homelessness, then perhaps we need to prioritize the economy. And that I, I believe the appropriate answer is if necessary. So I'll be fair to Biden and say he's saying if the scientists say so, but the scientists aren't the end all be all. Hugh goes on to say, now consider that you are much safer and more secure under this president than you were on January 20th, 2017, because of the military buildup Trump has overseen. Every member of the military has received higher pay, and the armed forces are now much better equipped. You might not be safer if you live in crime-afflicted Chicago or New York or Portland, Oregon, but that is another matter. Trump has reduced the U.S. military footprint abroad, choosing to punch hard while pulling back. The Islamic State's so-called caliphate in the Middle East has been destroyed. Syria and Iran are on notice. The two biggest terrorist leaders alive when Trump took office, the Islamic State's Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi and Iranian military commander Qasem Soleimani, are now dead. The UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain have signed major diplomatic agreements with Israel, a breakthrough engineered by the Trump administration, and the first such pact between the Jewish state and its Arab neighbors in 25 years. That's amazing. It really is. The president has focused the world's attention on the Chinese Communist Party's imperial ambitions, human rights abuses, and role in letting the coronavirus escape from Wuhan. Trump has also shown how the World Health Organization's ties to Beijing worsen the crisis. Trump has made America's NATO's allies pay more for their share in the cost of common defense. The savings for the U.S. are better directed to domestic use. Shouldn't they pay their fair share? I mean, we have an agreement with them about what percent of their GDP needs to be committed to defense. And they weren't upholding their end of the deal. They should pay their fair share. On the economy, po- policies championed by Trump and the GOP succeeded in bringing unemployment to all-time lows earlier this year. Now the economy, after the pandemic forced shutdowns, is bouncing back with unemployment below 8% and heading lower. Your taxes are down and the value of your home has likely gone up, should you own one. Your freedoms and your fundamental rights to be left alone are much stronger than they were before Trump's inauguration, because the president, working with Senate Republicans, has bolstered the Supreme Court and federal courts with strong judges who honor the Constitution. These judges will long protect your religious practices and your right to bear arms and will rein in in the 
the administrative state's attempts to control your life. Now, this one's very clearly uh, speaking to Christian conservatives or religious conservatives in general. Um, for the most part, I say because religious practices, but also your right to bear arms. It's not talking to liberals here. Liberals don't care for the most part about religion. There are, there are many religious liberals. Uh, to be fair, there's, a, there's many pro-life Democrats. There's a lot of reasons to suggest that Donald Trump is going to win. Notably, the Democrats leftward lurch on abortion, but also all these liberals going out and buying guns. You say it right here. He says you're right to bear arms. To be fair, I, I, I would say that's typically not catering to liberals. But now with all these liberals who went out and bought weapons, myself included, I got to agree. Millions of Americans have benefited enormously from the Trump administration in their own particular ways. Military veterans recognize that the Department of Veterans Affairs have been dramatically improved under the Trump administration. Lovers of national parks know that long overdue maintenance and improvements to the parks have been made possible by the Great American Outdoors Act. Those in prison for nonviolent offenses or have incarcerated family members celebrated the reforms of the First Step Act. Criminal justice reform. Very, very great. You may love Trump. You may loathe him. But his policies have undoubtedly been good for you and the country. Meanwhile, let's look at Democrats. Biden won the nomination, but Bernie Sanders won the battle of ideas. Democrats are moving hard left, ready to wreck health insurance again with Medicare for all and the energy industry with their disastrous Green New Deal. The left wing of the party, if Democrats control Congress and the White House next year, will push for expanding the Supreme Court so a liberal majority can restrict freedoms they don't like, especially religious freedom and the right to bear arms. Many Democrats are pushing to repeal the requirements of 60 votes to pass most legislation in the Senate. When that happens, watch out. The left wing playbook will become law with dire consequences for the economy and U.S. society. This is what's at stake on November 3rd. You won't see a fair reading of the facts about the Trump administration's record because 95% of the media is overtly anti-Trump. It is the most absurd partisan imbalance I've ever seen, and it will only get worse in the coming weeks. The collapse of media fairness prompted by a seething hatred of Trump is a harbinger of an enduring one-party state. The answer is to vote against this one-party state and vote for a second Trump term. Unfortunately, I agree. And I say unfortunately, because I would love to find a principled, rational liberal. Donald Trump's fairly moderate. They call him in, uh, what was like a New York Democrat or a New York Republican, meaning that Trump may be a Republican, but he's from New York. So he's fairly moderate as much as the media would like to claim that he's far right. And you know, all that stuff's kind of drifted away. When was the last time they claimed Trump was far right or white nationalist or whatever? They say he won't disavow, but now they're just claiming he did a bad job on COVID. I believe Trump isn't running against Joe Biden. Donald Trump is running against the media. It's true. It really, really is. I'm surprised the Washington Post published this op-ed. But take a look at what's going on with these undecided voters. They're, they're lying to us. Why? Are they trying to help Joe Biden win? Yes. That's really weird, isn't it? Why would they do that? Well, it's because they've, they endorse him. I mean, the Washington Post, I'm pretty sure, endorsed Biden. That's why I'm surprised they published this op-ed. But take a look at this story from the Daily Mail. Fox News host Tucker Carlson airs photos of Chris Cuomo smoking a cigar at a Long Island restaurant with friends with no mask in sight after CNN anchor called Trump's return to the White House propaganda while they praised the Black Lives Matter. While people like Cuomo said, who said a protest needed to be peaceful? The First Amendment. While they complained that Donald Trump taking off his mask was propaganda, they do the same thing. Chris Cuomo faked being in quarantine. I'm not, I'm not kidding. He, he pretended. 
He was ousted when he got into a verbal altercation with a man nearly a half an hour away from his home when he was supposed to be under quarantine. And he ranted about it on the radio. We know he did it. The New York Times even brought it up like, dude, we get it. You did it. Witness saw you. You confirmed it. CNN never admitted it. Now you got a dude who's going on CNN saying, oh, I can't believe it. Oh, harumph. And then when he goes out, he doesn't follow the rules. Smoking a cigar, no mask, he didn't care. They're lying to all of us. Donald Trump is not that bad. When it comes to the Middle East peace deals and withdrawing our troops, he's actually pretty good. When it comes to domestic policy and un- unemployment, he's actually great. And when it comes to his overall performance, I say he's okay. Because Trump's got serious character defects that it, 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 is, it, is, it is an important role. Though I don't think Trump's personality is the most important thing. I'm just kind of interested in making sure the country functions. It matters. But the bigger problem I see is that you look at California's one-party rule. That's really, really bad. I mean, it's really bad in California. They got poop patrol and SF. There's human waste everywhere. There's homelessness. We don't want to end up that way. So you're not just voting against Joe Biden and the the Obama administration's remnants that that got us involved in more war. You're voting against the media establishment. You're voting against the entirety of the establishment that manipulated you and just wanted to make a quick buck off your back. Hopefully enough progressives see through this and at least go for a chaos vote, I guess. Hopefully moderates see this. And I'm hoping that Trump wins because for the most part, it's the peace deals in the Middle East. I want him to continue that. Everything else kind of just shrug. I mean, the economy, we want to get improved. We want, we want to fix or him to fix it. So you know what, man? I rag on the media all day, every day. It was, it was good to see the Washington Post publish something that finally was like, hey, look, Trump's not that bad, right? He's actually pretty good. But I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash TimCast. It is my main channel. Thank you all so much for hanging out. And I will see you all then. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you are ready for more Minneapolis riots, and maybe it'll spread across the country just in time for the November election. Chauvin, the officer involved in the killing of George Floyd, has posted $1 million bond, and the Department of Corrections confirmed he was no longer in custody at the state's facility in Oak Park Heights, where he had been detained. That's it. That's the news. We've got some opinion around this as to what this might mean or what's coming in the future. But let me just tell you right off the bat, when this story broke, (laughs) it's breaking, you know, just about now. Speculation is that while normally people wait for the verdict, this may result in in mass rioting. Simply the news that this man is being freed on bond. Why? Well, the left is going to argue the man should be remanded without bond. He should remain in prison because they assume him guilty. That's all that matters. And I will also add that many of these people who are rioting seem to riot for anything. We're at that point in Chicago when we saw this mass rioting a couple months ago. The looting and the the rioting was over the fact that some guy was shooting at cops and they shot him in the shoulder. So they lied and they went out and they rioted. I think we actually might see a riot just because the news broke. And that's the most important issue, I guess, is how the media is driving a lot of this. The question is, why is it that people will riot? when a verdict comes in. But then we start seeing riots for seemingly any reason. And why is the AP and many other outlets reporting that this guy has been released from custody? There's no real other developments in the story. Well, the story goes beyond just this, at least what I want to talk to you about. Spike Lee suggests civil war is coming. This mother effort is not going to leave. I know. Cue the memes. Tim Pool talking about civil war. I think it's the only real thing that the left can kind of criticize me on 
is that I've done, a, you know, maybe I don't, I don't know what, like a dozen or so videos talking about Civil War. Maybe all across the board, a couple dozen out of 5,800. Uh, I, I think I've done like 5,800 video segments, different segments, and a couple dozen might have included the term Civil War. And that, of course, results in, <laughs> isn't Tim Pool crazy? <laughs> yeah, I hope. I hope I'm nuts. <laughs> Maybe y'all are living a normal life, playing video games every day, and you turn on Crackbot Crazy Tim, just sitting there ranting about the Civil War that's about to come. I would love that. But like I always mention, I'm not just making it up. Spike Lee said it. Y'all gonna go complain about Spike Lee talking about it? Tom Friedman of the New York Times said it was gonna happen. On Anderson Cooper's show. What do you want me to say? The Atlantic, The Guardian, they're all saying it's going to happen. So maybe maybe I'm the crackpot. I would gladly accept that. Well, Spike Lee, left-wing Hollywood director and activist, launched into an unhinged diatribe in a recent interview in which he suggested President Trump won't leave the White House if he loses the November election and could spark a civil war. No, I'm sorry, Breitbart, you're wrong. That's not unhinged. Donald Trump is probably not going to leave the White House. I'm not suggesting that Trump is going to lose the election and then refuse to leave. I'm suggesting there won't be an election. I know. Cue crazy crackpot Tim Pool. By all means, call me whatever you want. Call me whatever you want, because I hope I'm wrong. But I think what we're going to see is the red mirage. Donald Trump's going to win in a landslide on Election Day. Democrats are going to be overwhelmingly disqualified. You know, I was thinking to myself, and, and I've got another segment coming up on this. Why is it that they know the ballots are, are, are broken and all these disqualifications are happening, but they would, the Democrats would push this anyway. Could it be that uh, Donald Trump wins and then the Democrats are the ones who challenge and they say, look at all these disqualifications. It's not fair. We really won and Donald Trump won't leave. And if Spike Lee is saying this, you know, they're not going to accept the results of the election. Why? They didn't accept the results in 2016. If Spike Lee is coming out and saying Trump will lose but won't leave, what do you think is going to happen when Trump wins so he doesn't leave? But they say, no, he lost. We won the popular vote. We've, we, this is unfair. Civil war. This could be civil war, Spike Lee replied, when asked by Variety where the country is heading. And we got to come out and vote because this mother effer is not going to leave. And he'll say the vote was invalid or rigged. He's doing that S already. He's laying the groundwork to say the election is bogus. You know, what I love the most about this is all the people who never care, don't pay attention, have no stake in the game, are now acting like all of a sudden it's the end of the world. <laughs> Dude, you were sitting around playing video games for the past several years. Wait, what are you doing? By all means, I'm glad people are getting educated and now taking interest in politics for sure. But don't don't lie to me and pretend like you actually care about this. Elsewhere in the interview, Lee smeared President Trump over his election slogan, Make America Great Again. Roll back the clock, the Malcolm X director responded. If it was up to him, I'd be singing. Let my people go. I'd be singing spirituals. I can't say the, the, the other word. Wade in the water, all types of stuff, along with stealing the land from Native Americans and genocide. That's how his country was built. This country was built. In August, Lee expressed concerns that if the presidential election was too close to call, Trump would opt against leaving office. Yeah, I think he will. I think, I think if the election is broken— and there's no clear results, Trump's going to say no. I mean, what's he supposed to do? Should Trump be like, well, the election never happened, so uh, I'm just going to give up power to those people who rigged it. What would you prefer? And that's why 
Spike Lee's not unhinged. He's just, uh, he's just wrong. But his assessment of what's to come, I think, is actually on point. I view it this way. Look, I'm, pro- I'm, I'm going to be voting for Donald Trump. And I think a lot of people aren't going to be voting for Donald Trump. I think if Trump wins, I'm going to be satisfied that Trump won. If Trump loses, I'll be upset. And that's about it. If Trump wins, the left will claim he didn't win. If there's no clear results, no one knows who won. I do not think it would be right for Trump to cede power to the far leftists and to the Democrats who staged it all from the beginning, who pushed for the mail-in voting that broke the system. I think Trump should, I think I think he should stay until we can have a Supreme Court ruling or something happens. I know the Democrats are probably hoping that Donald Trump just says, well, there's no clear winner, so I'm out. And then what, Nancy Pelosi becomes president? We can't have that. Now, look, I said I think, you know, Trump should stay, but I also think ultimately we don't have a clean solution. The left is going to say, no, it's Pelosi. Give up the power to the party that staged it in the first place. That's equally as bad. So I don't know what you do. I really don't. But I want to show you something I find pretty fascinating. It's kind of like an end off, an end of the segment. You guys remember Ken Bone? He was that famous dude who was wearing the red sweater back in 2016. He became this famous personality considered to be like an everyman. Here's what he tweeted. I voted Clinton in 2016. And this morning I sealed my mail-in ballot having voted for Joe Jorgensen. I don't agree with either of them 100%, but felt they were the best options available to me at the time. In response, this user, Lynn Slattery, says, Hi, Ken Bone. You've shared that energy policy, student debt, and foreign policy matter a lot to you. Would you share why Jorgensen aligns best with your concerns? And he said, the number one she has going for is foreign policy, in my view. I don't want America to keep spending our blogs and treasure to be the world police, especially when it comes to forcibly changing regimes of other nations. The next the next response. So in other words, you threw away your vote and inadvertently voted for Trump. Cool story. He said, I live in Illinois. If it goes red, I will sign the deed to my house over to you. Keep voter shaming, though. It's great for democracy. You know, it's really funny about this. And, and trust me, it's connected. Is that is anybody saying so what, basically what you're saying, Ken, is that by voting Jorgensen, you're basically voting for Biden because now you're throwing your Trump vote away. No, nobody's saying that. This guy voted for Clinton. So I guess that's their, their, their insinuation. But how insane is it that they are attacking him? And what did Ken say? All morning, the Trump supporters have been nice to me, even though I don't like Trump. The Biden camp has been essing all over me because I don't like Biden. Do these people really not see how much this behavior pushes bystanders toward the, towards the right? My response to Ken is always vote for who you think is best and your vote will never be wasted. If you vote for the lesser of two evils, you have wasted your vote. My, my, my vote for Donald Trump, which is presumably at this point going to Donald Trump, I'm saying that because, you know, who knows? I don't know. Maybe, maybe something happens before the election is because he banned critical race theory. It's because he's pulling our troops out of the Middle East. It's because he signed these peace agreements. And I think he did a great job on the economy. And I actually think he's the right choice. Joe Jorgensen isn't. And many of these other candidates, in my opinion, are not. I wouldn't waste my vote. I never would. But I have tremendous respect for Ken Bone for who he chooses to vote for. And, you know, I have friends who say they're voting for Joe Jorgensen. And I would never say, so you're basically voting Biden then because, you're, oh, shut up. You got to vote for who you believe in. And that is a never a wasted vote. And if Joe Biden wins because of it or whatever, I'm not going to cry about it. I'll be disappointed. I'll be worried. 
and I'll take care of myself. That's all ultimately what it's about. I love this response. Tony Pazinski says, yes, I usually make political decisions on who is nice to me on Twitter and not policies. Ken Bone is right. And this is the point I'm making. The animosity, the anger, the rage, the violence isn't coming from the right. It doesn't matter who Ken chooses to vote for. He's pointing out that he said he didn't like Biden and the Biden supporters went insane and attacked him. So when it really does come to the civil war spike, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be the right that's going around attacking people. It's been Antifa and Black Lives Matter. The threat is the left. It's been the left the whole time. Now, there are threats from the far right in terms of sporadic and, and, and high tier violence. That's scary. That's what the FBI is for. In terms of sustained violence, disruption, insurgency, that's the left. But let me tell you one more thing. People don't make decisions based on who's nice to them. Tony, please pay attention to this one. They get ideas from people. And if you're too busy spitting in someone's face and a Trump supporter is saying, hey, Ken, good for you, man. I'm I'm proud that you're standing up for what you believe in. Let me ask you about the foreign policy thing you mentioned. Don't you know that Trump is signing these peace agreements? He'll say, huh, I didn't consider that. And so you've got a really good chance of getting Trump in and ending these endless wars. To me, I think that makes the most sense. If you think Joe Jorgensen across the board is better, then, you know, by all means, do your thing. And then we'll, 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 we'll have a cheers and we'll drink. And maybe he'll consider what I said. If you approach him and spit in his face and slap him in the face and scream, you bigot, you moron. He has no idea what your policy positions are. It's not about who's nice to you. It's about who's talking to you. And they're not. But I'll leave it there. I got a couple more segments coming up in just a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. Thank you, New York Times, for pointing out that political comedy is dead. And also, thank you for giving us a bit more political comedy by blaming Trump for it. I kid you not. How President Trump ruined political comedy from the New York Times. The Trump years created a bumper crop of liberal comedy shows, all of which have been canceled. Why is the president so impervious to satire? (laughs) No, 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 no. There are many great things to mock the president on. You can mock Obama, Bush, Trump, anybody. The problem is you can't dump all of it in this regurgitated, repetitive, tiny hands, orange face garbage and think we're going to laugh about it. My friends, I encourage you to follow George Alexopoulos, G Prime 85 on Twitter and Instagram. Why? Because he's actually got some comics that are about Trump that are funny. Here's, here's, here's one. It's before the debate and it's a comic and they, they say, Mr. President, there's like a little tiny Trump standing on a desk. Are you ready for the for the uh, debate? Then that shows them lifting up this tiny Trump and putting him into a giant exosuit and steam sprays out as he enters. And then he tightens his tie and he says, bigly. And it's funny. It's funny. You can make fun of Trump and be funny. Lots of people do it. In fact, I do tons of impersonations of Trump. Excuse me. Excuse me. Wrong. Wrong. And people laugh and have a good time. You can imitate Trump and you can mock him. That's not what they're doing on these shows. These shows are cookie cutter garbage trying to create a plastic replica of Jon Stewart. How sad. How sad. I grew up. I was watching Jon Stewart in The Daily Show and I'm laughing and having a good time. But Jon Stewart was fair for the most part. And he was honest. Take a look at what they say. Now, now, mind you, the big news is the shows are getting canceled. Good. They're trash. Earlier this year, before everything happened, I went to New York City to survey the state of American political comedy. 
which has never felt more important or more fraught. At a taping of Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, I met a woman from Astoria who had brought a birthday present for the host, a mock campaign poster promoting Ripley Hicks 2020. The two main characters from Aliens emblazed with the slogan, it's the only way to be sure. That's a cool poster. At last week tonight with John Oliver, I watched the warm-up guy ring big laughs out of a malfunctioning t-shirt gun, firing three or, or, or at best four rows back into a house packed with cheering fans, people who seemed genuinely to feel part of the movement, a wave of laughter crashing against a president who was, was if not washed away, bound to erode at any minute. And then on a blustery Thursday night, I went to the program that started it all, The Daily Show. From a soundstage near the western edge of Manhattan, I watched Trevor Noah put on a clinic, put on a clinic in audience management. During one segment, he transitioned smoothly from his impression of the president to a righteous condemnation of sectarian violence in India, followed by a joke about green text bubbles. It was everything the genre now aims to be, breezily informative, morally upright, and funny enough that the house knew when to laugh. After the taping, a Comedy Central rep led me backstage down a hall that transitioned from the from production industrial to modern corporate decor. And through a warren of offices, uh, this is just the worst kind of writing. Just tell me what happened, dude. I was surprised. What is this? I asked if there was a type of joke they had learned not to do. Sarcasm. People are so emotionally invested, he said. You almost have to not couch things in sarcasm because people will momentarily wonder if you're not on their side. Doesn't that show that y'all have lost the plot if you can't be sarcastic? This is the funny thing about Twitter jokes. I have a friend who's like very progressive and she was telling me like, the things you post on Twitter, you don't understand. People think they're real. And I'm like, they're the obvious sarcasm when, you know, like I post things like, oh, gee, great. It's wonderful that mail-in ballots are broken and, and people are being disenfranchised. Yes, people think you mean it. <laughs> well, then those people are dumb. If you don't get the joke, what? it's not my fault. Are you telling me that millennials are that stupid? Oh, I'd believe it. Millennials are dumb. These Gen Xers who are watching The Daily Show for the most part. And I grew up watching that, too, with like older folks and my parents. And maybe that's why I had a better understanding. And maybe that's that's true for you, too. I, John Stewart's fantastic. John Stewart is critical of the president. But John Stewart also praised the president on helping out with the 9-11 relief fund for the first responders. That shows me that John Stewart may have criticisms for the president, but he's willing to be honest about when the president does good. That's all that I'm looking for. Give me give me a sense that you actually care about what the president's doing. Now, of course, I think John Stewart is a little bit of TDS for sure. But Stewart also pointed out that all these journalists take Trump's insults personally and respond in kind. And that creates serious problems where we're not getting news anymore. Here's what we say. Franz Flan, sorry, added, we have to signal to the audience, hey, you know, you're fe- we, we know how you're feeling because your audience is dumb as a box of rocks. Is that what you're saying? That's what you cultivated. The smart people left a long time ago, dude. And they weren't on the right back in the, in the previous generation. You know, we used to laugh and mock Fox News because they had, they said dumb things. Well, guess what? You guys kept your dumb people and the smart people got turned off by how dumb your content was. Samantha B, full frontal, garbage content. John Oliver, the same repetitive joke. It's current year, little Timothy. Thanks for using my name all the time, John Oliver. But I don't get the point you're trying to make. Just saying Timothy over and over again. Trying to imply there's a little kid somewhere. Sure, fine, I get it. Guess what? The little kids of that generation grew up and now I'm sitting right here. I get it, it's a joke. I don't mind it when you do the joke one time. But seriously, you watch John Oliver and you're like, bro, I get it. It's the same joke 
every single time. You're not telling me anything. You're just going like, I saw a guy once who had a gun. Can you believe it? Guess who else had guns? Nazis. And I'm like, I kid you not. That's like the basis of a joke he just did in a previous segment. And I'm like, that's, that's, I don't, that's not, fu- that's not funny. That's not, a, that's not a joke. John Stewart was kind of like George Carlin. He would tell you a joke that was true and you would laugh because it was true. Now what do we get? Formulaic, dishonest, bad faith insults. Yeah. Like when Samantha B made fun of PragerU, it's like, dude, I get it. You're a tribalist trying to earn tribal brownie points, but you're not funny. Even Jon Stewart praised Project Veritas because Jon Stewart was telling you the truth and the truth is funny. You ever watch Simpsons? I'm reminded of that episode where Krusty the Clown is like going through a ratings tumult. It's like his ratings are dropping, whatever. He's going to quit the show. And then, oh no, no, I think it was the Gabbo thing. It was like Gabbo showed up. Everyone liked Gabbo better. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. Anyway. Krusty the Clown is not funny anymore. So he's doing a press conference where he's retiring and he starts insulting the crowd and their intelligence and the journalists all start laughing. And he goes, why are you laughing? I'm just telling you the truth. And a guy goes, because it's funny. And he goes, hey. So then Krusty changes up his act, ties his hair back. And it's very George Carlin-esque where he starts just telling people the truth and they're laughing. There used to be real jokes in this. George Carlin was the master of this. He could tell you a joke and a truth and you would laugh. John Stewart picked this up and went along with it. He would tell you the jokes, tell you the truth. And in his exasperation at the absurdities of the modern condition, you laughed about it. Now what we have are a bunch of morally superior tribalists who aren't telling you the truth. They're just telling you canned, you know, I don't know, plastic joke formulas that they think will make you laugh because it's what you want to hear. And that, my friends, is clapter. Not laughter, not clapping, clapter. You see, when George Carlin would say something like talking truth about free speech, it was a political point. It was true. And you'd laugh. And then he would say something like, you know, the government sucks. And you'd laugh and be like, I feel your brother. A little bit of clapter in there. But the reason why I won't call what George Carlin got clapter is because George Carlin actually told jokes. What we get now is John Oliver going, isn't the orange man bad? And then everyone goes, Woo! start screaming and clapping like, yes, he said, he said orange man bad. What he tells us is not funny. It's not informative. It's deceptive and it's manipulative and it's designed to make you laugh because you're hearing what you want to hear. Not the truth. That's just the problem with modern comedy. So here's what they say. Here lies the big problem facing the Daily Show and its offspring. Consumers of this brand of comedy are so horrified by Trump that irreverence can feel like betrayal. No, that's not true. They're not so horrified. They're just like, what's the right word? Oh, they're paranoid and delusional. It's the end of the world. Orange man bad. Dude, lighten up. Man, I remember back in the days of Jon Stewart. The Daily Show is not the Daily Show anymore. Trevor Noah is not particularly funny when he's doing this stuff. I think Trevor Noah is a good comedian. I think he's done great stand up in the past. But now they're trying to embrace this, this morally indignant crowd of righteous leftists. You can't even make jokes without getting attacked. That was offensive. Then you look at you, you have a bunch of these, these comedians who are trying to do these same canned fake news garbage shows with canned. Uh, look, listen, when we would see the old school Colbert and he would do interviews that were designed to be funny, you'd laugh because you knew he wasn't trying to inform you of the truth. Today, they manipulate and insult people in bad faith. That's what we're getting. Here's what they say. The boom. and Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. From, like, is the best part, is the best part. 
From 96 until the second term of George Bush, The Daily Show was effectively the only program of its kind. In 05, the Colbert Report gave its first, uh, it gave the most popular Daily Show correspondent a half hour of his own. The boom began a decade later when HBO aired the first episode of Last Week Tonight. Since January 2015, another seven liberal clip shows have premiered. Full Frontal, The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore, The Opposition with Jordan Clapper, Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj, Wyatt Cenac's Problem Areas, The Jim Jeffries Show, The Break with Michelle Wolf. As of today, all of those seven but Full Frontal have been canceled. And good riddance to your fake news and unfunny trash. The boom and bust overlaps conspicuously with the political career of one Donald J. Trump. In theory, Trump should be the best thing that ever happened to liberal comedy. Five years ago, when he announced his candidacy after descending the escalator, blah, 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 blah. You know the problem is? The joke isn't Donald Trump. The establishment isn't Donald Trump. You are the establishment. Imagine all the people wearing their punk rock vests, shaved heads and tattoos saying, I'm punk rock, man. I'm all about Netflix and Amazon Prime. Yeah. What? And yeah, cultural establishment. Woohoo. You're not punk rock, dude. The media and the governor and the government, they're supporting the Black Lives Matter stuff you're doing. My word, you're the cultural establishment. They made seven TV shows for you. You're not challenging the status quo. You are the status quo. And it's not funny when you just prop the status quo up. You're punching down. And when the media just rails on Trump all day, every day, we get tired of it. You can criticize the president, but come on, man. The joke has been played out. Talk about something else. You know, you know what I like? You know what makes me laugh? You ever play that goose game? It's the best game ever, I swear. It, uh, listen, listen. You play as a goose, okay? It's on the Switch. You play as a goose, and you run around, and you harass the townspeople. <laughs> that made me laugh more than I've laughed in a long time. I kid you not. That's all you do. You're a goose, and you honk. And then you like you grab the dude's keys and they chases after you and you're honking and flapping your wings. Isn't that funny? You know, we've been beaten over the head nonstop for four years about orange man bad. Can you believe it's current year and the president is bad? And it's just not funny anymore. No, I don't try to be funny on my segments. I just try to, to talk about how I feel. And sometimes I guess it's funny. I don't write jokes. I don't have punchlines. But periodically people tell me that sometimes I'll say something funny. Isn't it crazy that in my effort to just talk about my feelings, people are more likely to get a laugh than watching any one of these shows that all have been canceled? Something is wrong with your comedy. You're not telling us any humorous truths or absurdities. You know, it's funny pointing out all of the insane segments from the left and the stupid things they say about Donald Trump. Oh, but that's defending Donald Trump. So we can't do a liberal show that defends the president. Your world has been shattered. Sorry, there's nothing left for you to make fun of fun of because you are the establishment. It's boring. I'll leave it there. Whatever, man, you get the point. Good luck to all of you liberal late night entertainers. I mean that as a joke. I'll see you on the next segment. The Democrats are starting to panic. I know. I said the thing. Democrats are panicking because uh, mail-in voting is uh, backfiring really bad. And it's too little too late. You know, I'm one of the first people to say, whoa, mail-in voting's a bad idea. Of course, the Republicans were. They rejected it outright, saying this is going to be bad. It's going to be fraud. And they kept saying <laughs> Trump claims without evidence that there's going to be impropriety in the election. There is. And there's story. 
after story. You know what I love? John Oliver did a segment about it, and it was the funniest thing ever. He was like, it's current year, and there's 500,000 ballots being rejected, according to the Washington Post. And I'm like, yo, you guys are the ones ragging on Donald Trump about this. It's the left the Democrats and the media claiming Trump's making it up. Maybe if you listened, you wouldn't be in this jam. Oh, but now they are. You see, Republicans are going to go vote in person. Most of them. Yeah. And Democrats are mostly going to vote by mail. So they say. And mail-in votes are extreme. Mail-in votes. Ballots. Sorry. Vote. What did I say? Votes. Ballots are extremely likely to be discounted relative to regular in-person votes. So congratulations. You played yourself. Here's a story. CBS New York says election concerns grow in Bergen County, New Jersey, after dozens of mail-in ballots found discarded in dumpster. Ah, <laughs> another one of these. I remember when Donald Trump said that there were ballots in a river or something. And it was because Trump is just, you know, he skims the news. And what he meant was a ditch. Dump, uh, ballots were found in a ditch. Well, then you get this journalist talking to Kaylee McEnany at the press briefing. And he's like, well, what, what, what river was this? And Kaylee goes, I, I believe the president was, was referring to ballots that were found in a ditch. I, I, I just want to know what this river is. Well, he was saying he meant a ditch. It was found in a ditch in, in Pennsylvania. Oh, oh, well, or actually, it was, it was Wisconsin. And he's like, but, but I'm just, I want to know where the river is. Dude, you're not doing journalism. He was just saying, where's the river over and over again? Dude, there's no joke. What are you talking about? Okay, we get it. You said it the first time. Shut up and move on. But they don't want to admit it. Well, here we go. Democrats mail voting pivot from Axios. You see, maybe after seeing all of these uh, votes collapse, this is from two weeks ago, mind you, but I, I, I had to talk about it because considering we're this close to the election, I saw this John Oliver thing and I asked this friend of mine, I was like, why are Democrats encouraging mail-in voting if mail-in voting is broken? But John Oliver apparently just realized it. Too little, too late, I'm afraid. Check this out. Democrats spent the early months of the COVID panic urging their base to vote absentee. But as threats, no, 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 they wanted universal mail-in voting axios. Get your, get your, uh, uh, your phrasing correct. Get your framing correct. Universal mail-in voting is when they just send out a ballot whether you want it or not. Absentee is when you ask for it. They say, but as threats of U.S. Postal Service delays, Team Trump litigation, and higher ballot rejection rates become clearer, many are pivoting to promote more in-person voting as well. Why it matters. Democrats are exponentially more likely to vote by mail than Republicans this year. And if enough mail-in ballots are lost, rejected, on a technicality or undercounted, it could change the outcome of the presidential election or other key races. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, man. Oh, if they if they if the polling is correct, like Joe Biden's up 10 points, but then all of these ballots just disappear. It is going to be the funniest election ever. Could you imagine the exit polls show that, you know, Joe Biden wins with a 10 point landslide. But where, where are the ballots? We can't find any of them. Um, where, What's that? 20 percent of Democrats voted by mail and all of their ballots are gone. Yikes. Donald Trump could win because they pushed a bunk voting system that Trump warned them about. Amazing. Driving the news in Colorado, former Governor John Hickenlooper, who's running against Senator Cory Gardner, told Axios that he's encouraging voters to physically take their mail-in ballots to a drop box and to do so early, really early. Paulette Jordan, a Democratic candidate for Senate in Idaho, told Axios that she's encouraging voters to take their filled out mail ballots in person to the county courthouse. Black PAC also moved from exclusively educating voters on voting by mail to informing about all available options in person, absentee, 
early voting and voting on election day. The collective pack, the largest black led political action committee targeting black voters and candidates is pivoting too. we're shifting away from making plans to vote by mail to voting early in person. Quentin James, the group's founder, told Axios, the pivot is reflected by Barack and Michelle Obama, both of whom have been encouraging Democrats not just to vote by mail, but to vote early any way they can, including in person. We recently saw this um, roundtable, I guess, with Barack Obama. And I think Trevor Noah was in it. Was it Trevor Noah? Maybe it wasn't Trevor Noah. I can't remember who it was. But uh, he said he was he voted. He was voting by mail and encouraging people to vote by mail. And, I, and he may have said to, to bring your mail in in person. I'm not sure. But uh, Joe Biden voted in person. Yeah, the messaging was a bad idea. And it's going to backfire miserably on the Democrats. This may be why Trump wins. Think about it. Biden campaign, uh, Biden campaign officials say they've always encouraged people to vote however they are most comfortable and that they never exclusively stressed one method over another. For us, it's always been about how we can get people to vote early no matter what. And that's our number one priority, said Jen Ritter, national state's director for the Biden campaign. Folks who like to vote in person can still do that early, too, by filling out your ballot and physically bringing it to the polling location. But there are signs of potential trouble given the volumes of absentee voting that's expected this year. My favorite part of this segment is how I've done segments all about these problems over and over again. When the news breaks, I'm like, hey, guess what? Mail-in voting is broken. And I've been criticized for it. I've had these lefty journalists argue that YouTube should flag my videos for disinformation. I bring you now to, um, I don't know, karma, comeuppance, and reaping what you have sown. A fresh Pennsylvania state Supreme Court ruling could impact tens of thousands of ballots in the swing state. In Florida, voters are twice as likely to have their absentee ballot rejected if they've never voted that way before. University of Florida political science professor Dan Smith told Axios. In North Carolina, black voters' ballots are being rejected at more than four times the rate of white voters per 538. Overall, data shows new, younger, black, and Hispanic voters are more likely to have their ballots rejected. More than 550,000 mail-in ballots were rejected during the presidential primaries this year per an NPR analysis. Remember back in the day when shows would do like the recap show where it's like you're, you're watching an episode of The Simpsons, but instead of being a real episode, they just show clips from a bunch of older episodes. I never understood what the point was. I guess it was to fill time and, and ways like here's, here's an easy episode nobody cares about. Let's just say I, I hated those shows. It was like not even watching anything, you know, for the most part. That's what this feels like. The best of Tim Pool calling out mail-in ballots. In reality, it's them realizing, uh-oh, it's all broken. Think about what would have happened if these people actually watched my content instead of accusing me of being right-wing. Blah. They would have actually protected themselves. Now they're in trouble. They say masks, gloves, sanitizer, and bleach wipes are more widely available than in the initial months of the pandemic. Election officials have had longer to prepare for crowd management than during the primaries. And Americans without underlying health issues and pre-existing conditions have become more accustomed to social distancing and taking measured risks as they navigate public spaces, such as grocery stores. Flashback. The messaging pivot has begun by the start of the Democratic National Convention. Michelle Obama told voters, we've got to vote early in person if we can, even if it means wearing masks and comfortable shoes and packing a brown bag dinner and maybe breakfast too. If you can vote, if you can vote early in person or by mail, says Barack. Last week, Joe Biden and his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, voted in person one day before Delaware's primary. On the first day of an early vote in person voting in Virginia, long lines formed quickly with voters waiting two hours or more to cast a ballot. Well, 
I'd say I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so and I don't hate to say it. Actually, I'm going to say, <laughs> told you so. I can't tell you what's going to happen in this election. I don't know. Maybe the mail-in voting breaks and it hurts Trump too. Maybe this results in long lawsuits that even though Trump won, they challenge him. I think that's what's likely. I think what's going to happen is that Donald Trump is going to win cleanly on election night. And I think they knew Trump was going to win. I think they knew their polling was breaking. I think they knew that Trump voters were lying about who they supported because of peer pressure and pressure from, you know, mainstream media. They knew they were going to lose. Because of that, they went full in on mail-in voting. And I think they knew it was going to break. You couldn't ignore the things I was seeing. It was coming from the New York Times, NPR, the Washington Post. And I, had th- I was thinking to myself, why were they ignoring this? They're hurting themselves. Ah, they knew they were going to lose. So they self-sabotaged so that when they lose, they can claim it wasn't legitimate, that they only lost because their votes are being disqualified. It's not fair. Now, there's a potential for cheating, but I think cheating's a lot harder than people realize. Although we've seen some forms of it, I don't think they're going to fabricate votes. Maybe. I think what may happen is ballot harvesting, where they go around collecting votes for people they know are going to support them and not the votes for people who, you know, wouldn't. And that flies in the face of their argument that they're trying to make it easier for everyone to vote. No, they're not. They're trying to get their person to vote. South Park said it best. They did this episode where everyone's trying to convince Stan to vote between a giant douche and a turd sandwich. And he says, what's the point? Finally, when he says, OK, I'll vote, I guess I'll vote, you know, turd sandwich. Then I think Kyle's like, no, don't vote for them. Vote for my person. And then Cartman's like, oh, good, good. It was the perfect example. It was the perfect example of how voting works. Everybody wants you to vote. They want you to vote for their person. I'll tell you what. I want you to vote. I want you to vote for your person. If it's Biden, if it's Trump. If it's Joe Jorgensen, vote for who you think is right and vote in the most secure way possible. Everybody should have a right to should have should have the right to vote. We've had conversations about enfranchising people, but making sure that their votes are tied to actually caring about their community. But in the end, right now, we have a right to vote. The Democrats should have paid attention. I'll leave it there. Next segment will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thanks for hanging out and I will see you all next time.